This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, it's great to start out the show with noted businessman, Shark Tank host, and a host of Money Court, and also chairman of uh, O'Shares ETF, Kevin O'Leary. Kevin, Happy New Year to you. Hope you're well. Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you. Lots of questions right now about the economy, the U.S. economy, where it is right now. Give us your thoughts. And obviously, a lot of this having to deal with the inflation that we're seeing right now and the path of the Federal Reserve in the months ahead. So the best way to look at it is go to 30,000 feet and think about GDP growth, because that generally drives everything. And when we were in the height of, you know, another just eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago, a lot of the analysts brought down their forecast for Q1 from five and a half down to three and a half percent for GDP growth. Now, and get at the same time, you, you talk to CEOs of S&P 500 companies and they're at full employment. They're booming in terms of revenue. Uh, business has been extremely strong. Consumers are flush with cash. So maybe what's happening here and why we're getting volatility is the uncertainty of what GDP will actually be in Q1. So I actually think Q1 GDP will be more like 4.5%, even even 5%. I think what's happened out of abundance of caution, the analysts have brought it down significantly, reduced it by 25% from what we actually saw happen in Q4, and yet the economy is still extremely strong right now. You talk to any business leader, any CEO of the S&P 500, they're struggling to hire people. Consumers are flush with cash. It's a very, very strong economy, and we're probably getting towards the end of this pandemic, turning it into an endemic. And, you know, it's not a death sentence anymore if you're vaccinated. So yeah. people understand that and the underlying risk. My, my guess for the year, now, we're not going to get 26% returns this year. It's going to be a little more muted because we're going to a transition into higher interest rates, obviously. We don't know if the Fed will do two hikes or four. Nobody really knows. But I think what's going to happen is you're going to get 8% earnings growth in the S&P 500 in the calendar year 2022, plus 1% dividend distribution, giving you a 9% return which is pretty good versus what you're being offered in the fixed income market. I, I don't think there's an expectation that that we were going to see the same type of growth that we saw in 2021 because seemingly it was just a, it was a hot market to begin with. It's true, but also we were you know suppressing demand during the pandemic when people were in lockdown for 18 months basically. So that was an unusual time in the economy, but I think we're going back to a traditional economy now. I think that 9% is not unrealistic. I think you stay the course in equities, even though there'll be more volatility. You know, when people say they're going to sell their stocks and wait to get in a lower price, that's market timing. And no one, no one can time the market. I've tried it before. So many investors learn their lesson the hard way. You can't do it. So you have to kind of hold your nose, handle the volatility. There is one strategy which I would recommend for 2022, and that would be to, you know, more stable, large-cap S&P companies that have strong business models, strong distribution, strong cash flow, low debt. For example, I wouldn't invest in the airlines right now. United, we just talked about them. They started the pandemic with $7 billion in debt. Now they're over $22 billion. So that's an upside-down balance sheet. You, you have to kind of wait till they pay that down before you become an investor in that again. That's too risky. So my whole yeah. point is go for quality, and I think you ride out a nice 9% return. Is the landscape for entrepreneurs going to be a pretty good one this year? Unbelievable. I, what, what's going on right now, the, the, the sector that is getting most of the venture capital, and I've been participating as well, is cryptocurrencies, blockchain, blockchain technologies, tokenization, payment systems. 
the hottest hands on the keyboard are all going there. And those are the teams. You know, what I tell people every day that can't really get their heads around this, don't think of Bitcoin as a coin. It's not. It's software. Ethereum is software. Solana is software. Blockchain is software. If you're willing to invest in Google or Microsoft, why aren't you willing to invest in productivity-enhancing software like Ethereum? There's no difference. Now, the, right. diff the, the primary difference is the regulator has, has said Microsoft and Google are equities. We get it. But we need some regulation and policy on what cryptocurrencies are, what blockchain is, what tokens are, what NFTs are. And I'm, I'm hopeful in 2022 the regulator regulates and puts policy out because the upside of that is trillions of dollars will come into this market. I really think cryptocurrencies and payment systems and blockchain are basically the 12th sector of the S&P. And it just hasn't been designated that yet. But over time, the enhancements these technologies provide for financial services are really material. And that's why you should probably think about investing some allocation to them. So this pullback we've seen uh, in the last week or so uh, with the various cryptos, uh, that's just a temporary element. And uh, we're going to see the, the prices uh, heading back northward pretty soon. There's a lot of volatility in crypto, but I want to remind everybody of something. 17 years ago when I started my journey as an equity shareholder in Amazon, we had 50 to 30% corrections every 12 months. And look where you are today. It's one of the most best-performing stocks in history. Yes, it's volatile. So is cryptocurrency. So is blockchain investing. And the best way to look at it is don't bet it all in one place. I've, I've decided to do the same thing I do with my stock portfolio. I'm saying, look, I'm going to have up to 20% allocation in crypto, in blockchain, in these, these technologies, and no position more than 5%. So Ethereum is my largest, Bitcoin is my second, but I also own all these other platforms such as HBAR, which Boeing is using, you know, all of these decentralized, centralized wallets, all this technology. The hardest part about this industry is getting to understand what it really is. And the more you educate yourself, the more you realize of the potential it has. But you still need diversification. I have some you know, positions that are down 50%, and I have some that are up 200%. In aggregate, it's still up over the year, and it's volatile, as you saw this week. This is one of the worst years that crypto has kicked off in. We're only in a few days of the year, but it's just like Amazon was 17 years ago. Well, and I understand that you're also focusing on the cryptocurrency market in Canada as well, correct? You have to take a global perspective because regulators in different countries have different policies and they're, and they're different in terms of how progressive they are. Canada is one of the most progressive regulators. They were the first to allow a Bitcoin ETF, the first to allow an Ethereum ETF. Now, there's many of them there. They also have just issued the very first market exchange license to a company called BitBuy. And the company I'm an investor in called WonderFi just purchased it. They have 375,000 accounts. It also has a dealer broker license. What I love about investing in crypto infrastructure is you're agnostic to price. The exchange makes money whether Bitcoin goes up or down, whether Ethereum goes up or down. In fact, the more volatility, the better it is. So WonderFi is a company that is both investing in simplifying decentralized finance, but also buying exchanges. And so for me, that's great diversification, and yet it's in a ge geography where the regulator is allowing you to be an investor. Now, that's the key here. If you want to get in early into the sector, you've got to go find the countries like Switzerland, like Germany, 
like France, like the United Arab Emirates, like Canada, and you got to get on a plane and you got to go meet right. the teams. The thing about this, I go back to this. I remember investing in software engineers back in the learning company days that did math and reading software. And I would always go and meet them, sit down with them, and figure out who are the hottest hands. It's no different now. This is all software, all of it, all of it. It's all software. So I get out there. I go to the United Emirates. I go to Switzerland. I go to Germany. Go to Australia, wherever you have to go to meet these teams and place your bets. You're betting on engineers. So, I, Kevin, last question for you, because I also saw an article that, that you were talking about uh, NFTs, and, and I guess you're even more bullish on NFTs right now as well, correct? I am, and I'll tell you why. It solves a real-world problem. The use case I like to talk about a lot because it's so close to me is the watch industry. The watch industry is a multi-billion-dollar business each year. The secondary market, the used watch market, is 10x, 10 times the primary issuance each year. So as watches age and become vintage, they become more valuable. The problem is fraud. Authenticating a watch is a huge problem. Now, if you turn it into an NFT and you do a micro-level scan of the dial, micron-level scan, the dial becomes the fingerprint of the watch. You attach it to an NFT, and any time you want to authenticate that watch, you simply scan the dial again with your phone, and it authenticates it. Yes or no? Is it fake or not? It's that detailed. So that solves that problem, which is a multibillion-dollar problem. Secondly, insurance. I have a massive watch collection. I want to turn them all into NFTs so I can just tell my insurance company, these are the 10 I'm going to be wearing this week. The rest are in the vault. I'll self-insure those. But these are out with me traveling. I want insurance on them and let multiple insurance companies bid. I would save thousands of dollars doing that. So there's so many use cases where money is being saved with NFTs. It's the same for the jewelry market, the real estate market, the car market, the real estate, like all kinds of contracts that are done on paper and sent around to people can be put in a smart chain, blockchain, and basically follow that asset around. That's why I think long-term, as this gets worked out, the potential is massive, absolutely massive for any physical asset that has to be cataloged and authenticated. I think NFTs are going to do that. I'm investing heavily in that area, too. Immutable Holdings is a company recently went public on Neo Exchange in Canada. Yes, in Canada, again, where the yeah. regulator is more progressive. And that company owns NFT.com and is curating NFTs for all platforms. So I think there's lots of potential here. But again, you're betting on software. Kevin, as always, great to have you on the show. Thanks for a few moments. Take care. Bye-bye. Happy New Year. Thank you. You too. Kevin O'Leary, chairman of Osher's ETF, Shark Tank co-host and host of Money Court. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.